0: I uh, rarely heard when I was growing up, I I rarely heard from my father, hey, uh, I want you to learn from my experience, and he would tell me a story or something like that. That just wasn't my father's way of, of teaching. He didn't teach through telling me stories or illustrations or something like that. Now, my father did tell stories, but most of the time he was telling stories basically just to tell a story. Um, I'm a little different with my kids. Maybe I was a lot different with my kids. Uh, quite frequently I said, man, let me let me share a story with you. Learn from my bad example. And I would lay out something and, and those kind of things. Now, but occasionally also I'd simply tell a story and uh, just to tell a story. And, and I could tell sometimes, particularly with my son, that that would catch him flat-footed. He'd be kind of tracking me through the story, trying to figure out where the punchline is, or, you know, what's he supposed to learn from this? Well, sometimes it's just a story. Sometimes I'm telling a story just to tell a story. Sometimes I'm telling a story, and you could tell that he's going through, he'd be going through a particular issue or whatever, and i tell a story about this over here, and you could see his little mind trying to track wh- what am I supposed to, how does what you're talking about over there connect with what I'm talking about over here? Sometimes I expect the sermon to kind of work as a model sermon. Listen to me. Uh, that's probably the way my kids thought about it. But sometimes I think the story for my kids was intended to be a model for them or an illustration. Look, here's something you can learn from my life as you go into your life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sometimes... It's just a story. Sometimes I'm just telling or I'm trying to pass some information or something along those lines. And it, sometimes I would give, cl- give clues like, hey, I'm going to tell you a story of my life. Now listen so you can learn the punchline for your life. Sometimes I expect them to kind of pick up on that a little bit. We have just heard from Dan uh, reading the Gospel of Mark about Jesus' initiation into ministry. As he comes upon the scene, remember we looked at this a couple weeks ago, What does he do? He proclaims the gospel message. And what is the gospel message? The kingdom of God is at hand. And I think what he's doing there is he's pointing to himself. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is the gospel message is that Jesus Christ is here. The gospel message draws our attention, focuses upon Jesus Christ and him alone. And immediately afterward, Mark tells a story Now, he tells a story of the opening disciples, how the first disciples became disciples. And it's possible that Mark is just telling a story. Hey, this is what happened next. And he's just telling a story. I don't think so. I think rather what Mark is doing here is he's saying, hey, let me share a story about how these first men became disciples. And know this, it serves as a good paradigm a good model, a good illustration for what happens to every believer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room right now, I believe that this story parallels your hearing of the gospel message. If you're conscious of it or not, I think it parallels your own hearing of the gospel message. If you're not a believer at this point in the room, this is... The call of the gospel. As we hear God's word, if you are able, if you'd please stand to hear the reading of God's word. Remark chapter 1. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear God in heaven, we ask that you would bless us with understanding, with faithfulness, with obedience, And with the joy of knowing your grace and love in our hearts, we pray at this time in your Son's name. Amen. If you'd please be seated. If you have Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Again, kind of what we've just seen is that Jesus starts his ministry. This is how the Gospel of Mark begins, how Mark begins to say, Hey, look, here's the Gospel message. It is Jesus standing before people saying, I have come. The time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news, believe the gospel message. What is that good news? The good news is the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here, that is the good news. And so then we immediately shift into the story of how the first disciples heard the gospel message. So this is the call of the gospel message on the first disciples and if it does indeed, if this not just tells us how Peter and James and John and, and Andrew became followers of Jesus, it might it serves that purpose for sure. It tells us the story of, you know, well, hey, how did Peter end up in this position? How does John end up doing this, following Jesus? Well, it's right here recorded for us. It provides us information, but I think it's intended to do a little bit more than that. It's supposed to serve a bit of as a model, as an illustration for every believer's hearing of the gospel message. If we hear the gospel message, what is it now? I don't want you like my son early on as I'm using these illustrative stories. He's trying to patch to himself the events of my life with the events of his life and trying to say how do they serve as parallels or, or how do they not. My, my statement here that I think this is a paradigm, this is... A model for us, an illustration for our own coming to the faith. doesn't mean that all of us have to go out and become fishermen or that uh, we were all at the sea or something like that while Jesus passed by. It does, however, relate specifically to the coming of the gospel message into their hearts. So, first, I want to look at the content of the message. Look in verse 17, if you would, with me. Jesus said to them here, He's walking along, uh, He said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. This is the content, the call of the gospel message. And if this is paradigmatic, if this is a model for us, my guess is that consciously or not, all of us have heard this same kind of message. Well, what's distinctive about this message? First off, I want you to notice this, that this is is not an option. This is not a suggestion. Jesus is walking along the shore. He sees the uh, Simon and Andrew, that's Peter and Andrew, working on the boats, and he issues not a request, not an invitation. He issues a command, and uh, the text couldn't be clear about this. This is an imperative. This is Jesus standing before these people, and he says to them, and uh, colloquially, uh, follow me is making it sound really nice. It's kind of like, you all come behind me. You all come behind me. That's what Jesus says. He says, follow me with an with a affirmative assertion here. You come behind me. This is not, again, a, a request Or we often talk in terms of the invitation of the gospel, and I'm not not downplaying that. Jesus certainly, there is that invitational character to the gospel. But most of us know and can sense in our own hearts that when God invited us to follow him as, as his followers, it wasn't so much an invitation as it was a command. Come and follow me. And I think the essence of the statement is not so much on the follow, it is upon the me. It's not that Jesus said, come and follow my teachings, or come and follow after the way in which I go. Come live your life the way I live my life. Those are not his statements. It is come, follow me. This goes back to the idea again that I have that the gospel message is Jesus Christ. And anytime we lose sight of that, we're losing sight of the very essence of the good news. And so here what you have is Jesus saying to these disciples, saying to these men, come, follow me. Me, I'm the important part. And indeed he is. And so what we have here is Jesus following, or going to the disciples and commanding them to follow after Jesus. Him, to focus upon him. It, back in the days, uh, if you were a wise teacher or if you wanted to have followers or something along those lines, you never use this language. We have lots of uh, extra biblical material that demonstrates for us how it is that a man, a leader, would go around recruiting people to follow after him. And he never said, Follow me. He always said something like, Come and follow my teachings. Come and follow in the way in which I live my life and model your life after mine. Come and do it this way together. That was a popular way of talking. Jesus, in this incredibly radical way, comes not so much with an invitation, but with a command, and the command is all about him. And this is what what's, gets so easily lost for us when we've been believers for a long period of time. If you have been a a believer for a while, you might have lost sight of that everyday reality that the gospel message, the good news, is still news for you today. And what is that news for you today? That our Lord is issuing a command to you to come, to follow him. And that's the focus, is upon Jesus and who he is so you have this desire, this passion that wraps itself around every Christian at some point in their life to respond to that command to follow after Christ and to make your life focused, centered around Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in the, at this point, know this, that that's the command that is echoing in in this room right now, and I pray that it echoes in your heart. Not that you would do this or that, or believe this or that, but that you would come and follow after Jesus. Now the way that he phrases this, follow me, notice how the line reads, follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. It's not, follow me and try really hard to become fishers of men. It's not, follow me and eventually you'll evolve into fishers of men. Uh, The fishers of men clearly is a play on the idea that they're fishermen and stuff like that. Uh, What I'm focusing less, I'm less interested in the fishers of men, more interested in the fact that the text makes it clear that Jesus is doing this work. This is the coming, the response to the command is not something that you have to gear up for, that you have to prepare yourself for, that you have to, because he is doing the work. He will make you to become fishers of men. But the command goes together with the promise. The command, follow me, with the promise, I will make you fishers of men, in such a way that it is only those who know Lord who can follow him and it is only those who follow him who can know the Lord unfortunately there's a lot of people that claim to be following Jesus or claim to be serving the Lord claim to do his work and think that they're doing God's work when they're out doing whatever they feel they desire but the reality is that we serve the Lord not when we do what we think is best, but when we follow him and know him. And in knowing him, we follow him. And in following him, we know him. The message of the gospel, again, the message of the good news is all about Jesus. It's all about him. That's the message. I want you to notice the timing. And this comes in verse 16 and a little verse in, in 19. How's the timing of the gospel come? Simon and Andrew, brother to see, sea, were casting a net into the sea. Now, I will confess to you that I have never in my life done this. I have no idea what that entails. I've read lots of accounts about how heavy the net is and what kind of skill it takes to ta- cast the net and all this kind of stuff. I, I, all I, can, I assume that it's labor-intensive and it's hard work. Now, I'm about to make an assumption here. A little bit later, by the way, in verse 19 and 20, you read that James and John were mending their nets in the, in the boat. So uh, I, I'm about to make a bit of an assumption. And that, the assumption is that while Simon and Andrew are casting the nets and while James and John are mending the nets, that they're not in the midst of a Bible study. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe these guys are, you know, hey, let's go cast the net and let's have the Bible open while we do it. It's possible. But I think much more likely is the simple reality that the text here kind of implies that's hard to avoid. That the timing of the gospel message, the call of the gospel message in our lives very frequently comes in an unexpected way. How many of you have been going through your life, doing whatever you're doing, and suddenly you get this flash of insight or this, or this yearning to be drawn into God's presence or this passion to praise him or to give him, you know, you're, you're doing laundry, you're doing your engineering, you're teaching some, whatever you're doing, and, and suddenly you get that overwhelming because the call of the gospel comes so often in unexpected ways, and not only that, but tremendously inconvenient times. Think about how inconvenient this was. You know the end of the story. The disciples end up leaving everything and going and following after Jesus. And the other people in the boat, Zebedee and stuff, they're all like, hello. Um, The call of the gospel comes in unexpected ways. And the call of the gospel so often comes in inconvenient ways. Now why do I stress all this? In part because I think, again, that's paradigmatic. For... If I'm right that this gospel message is to come to us as believers every day, it's supposed to be news for us all the time. Now, does that mean that we, the scripture is clear, that we are supposed to seek after the Lord? I'm not saying that you ignore Bible study, that you simply don't do. No, we're supposed to seek after the Lord while he may be found. It's a a beautiful promise of the Lord and that the time we spend seeking after him, he will meet us there. It's a beautiful promise that the Lord gives that, that we can hear the gospel anew when we seek after him. All of that is true. But what's shown here in this story is that that gospel comes hammering in on the disciples when they're not looking for it, when they're not ready for it. And I beg you to pay attention to those moments in your life. Can you imagine if Peter and Simon were so busy casting the nets, or they were casting their nets and they heard Jesus say, come, get behind me. And they just kind of went, yeah, you know. We're too." They allowed that, the voice of our God, to interrupt, and to be inconvenient so they could hear clearly the gospel message. Not only that, but Andrew and Simon, James and John, they were going about their ordinary life. What was their job? Their job were fishermen. We're told that. They're doing what God had called them to do. They're doing their vocation. They're doing their job. They're ordinary steps of life. Again, this is not to deny that we meet God powerfully at special moments. We certainly do. We trust that that's part of the reason why we come to worship, so that we can effectively praise God together and meet him while he is here. But this story reminds us that the way in which we impact and are impacted by the gospel message is sometimes very unexpected, sometimes inconvenient, and oftentimes through the ordinary steps of our lives. The message of the gospel is Jesus Christ. If the timing of the gospel is in his hands, whenever that is best, I want you to look at the response of the gospel. The response of the gospel here is right off the bat in verse 18, and then also down in 20. In 18, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Dan and I didn't talk about this before he read scripture. Uh, This is just one of these great things that God always does. I hope you were listening when Dan read the scripture. Uh, He had immediately two different times in the short verses in which he read it. And both times he really landed on it. I don't know why. I don't know what's in his mind. I know what's in my mind. I'm about to tell you what's in my mind. I don't know why he landed on it so heavily. But, you know, in both times he went, immediately, immediately immediately. And immediately is characteristic of the Gospel of Mark. As we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to run into that numerous different times. Uh, The word immediately and the emphasis upon the fact that there's this, there's a, a hyper character to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is always going. Jesus is always doing something. And things happen immediately. They happen really quickly. But I love the way that it happens here. When I was uh, one summer in my college experience, I spent the summer working as a basically as a day laborer in an oil refinery. And we had three bosses. We had the idiot boss, uh, and most of you guys can uh, appreciate these kind of bosses. We had the idiot boss. He was, he never really kind of knew what he was doing, and, and it only took me a couple of weeks on the job to realize that when he said to go do this, that I needed to check with somebody else to make sure that it was even possible or that you could do it. And so you had the idiot boss. And then we had the boss that ruled by fear. And when he came around and said, you've got to do this, you know, he barked and those kind of things. And then we had the boss that everybody respected. And I knew within days of being on the job that uh, people respected this boss. You know why? When the other two guys told you to do something, the guys I worked with, they were good men. They would eventually get around to doing the job. they grumble and groan, but they'd go about and do whatever they were told. But when this third guy, the boss they respected, asked them to, told them to go do something, they immediately went and did it. Not because they were being rash, not because they were trying to show off, not because they were but because that's how you respond to someone you respect. And here we have the gospel message that goes forward to Simon and to Andrew, and immediately, immediately, they respond. How do they respond? Well, immediately, they followed after him. They came in behind him. They walked behind him. Immediately, they were obedient. They were, Jesus issued a command, and immediately, they were obedient. That's what it means to respond faithfully to the gospel call in their lives. They hear the gospel, they know what Christ is doing in their lives, they know what God is doing in their lives, and they respond in obedience to the command of God, follow after me. Finally, notice what they do before they follow after him. And immediately in verse 18, they left their nets. Now we've talked about this before. What does it mean that the gospel message is Jesus Christ? The good news of Jesus Christ is that the kingdom of God is at hand, that he is here. What does that mean? That means that there is a complete realignment for all of us in our lives. That there's a complete reordering of all things in our lives. And again, if you're a believer, that's not something that happens once. That's something that happens every day because the power of sin is dragging at us every day and every day. We need to be realigned and refocused upon who the gospel message is. It is Jesus Christ And so they left all things. Now, does that mean that you have to leave all things? Yes. That's what that means. No longer are you to be aligned the way that you were. You are aligned totally differently. Does that mean that everybody has to leave your job or that you have to leave your family or that you. No, that's not the call here. The call is to be realigned totally, completely. Now that's the good news of the gospel message. Where do you find your identity? Not in your job. It's easy to think of myself first and foremost as a pastor, not as your family. It's really easy to think of myself first and foremost as a husband or as a father, sometimes as a son. What we are realigned to is to think of our identity. What is your identity? Where can you find your true identity? You find it behind him, by following him. So he calls out, come. Behind me, come, follow me. And that's where you find yourself to truly be who God has created and redeemed and ordained you to be because he will make you to be a fishers of men. He will do these things in your life because he has called us by the good news of Jesus Christ to the kingdom that is at hand to Jesus Christ himself. Let's go to him now collectively together to the Lord. Let's respond to the gospel message we have heard. Lord Jesus, we do ask here as we sit and stand in your presence that you would make yourself clear to us anew, that we would hear that gospel message, that we would follow after you, that we would come along behind you that we would find the essence of who we are right there. Lord, help us to respond faithfully to the calling that you have given to us, to the command to follow after you, that we would be obedient in our following after you because of the grace that you have given to us, that you have made that possible in our hearts by causing us to become fishers of men. Lord, we want to be faithful to you in each and everything that we do, and we know that that is possible for us because of the work that you have done for us. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. If everybody would uh, turn with me to the bulletin that you got whenever you walked in the door. There's a couple of events coming up.